Good morning, church. If it is your first time here this morning and you're like, hey, I'm not a church person, I'm not part of the church, can I say good morning to you? Can I say an especial good morning to you if you don't normally go to church? Great to see you this morning. I'm glad you came here. Hopefully you're enjoying it despite the kind of heat. Although I make it a, a, a real thing that I don't like to moan about the heat because I, I, I like to moan about the cold, if I'm honest. I, I, I hate the cold. I can't stand it. I can't stand the middle of winter. I don't mind the lead up to Christmas, but when it gets cold, I'm done with it. By January, I want summer to arrive as quickly as possible, and then we have to wait a few months. But uh, yeah, so I make it a, a, a point of mine not to moan about the cold. No, sorry, not to moan about the hot. Forgive me, I'm just looking over my notes. Anyway, let's get into it. Uh, we have a couple of weddings coming up in the church. Isn't that good news? Yeah, and as a, the church building, as some of you know, we've, we took over this building back in September um, and fully took it over in Easter. Um, we are in the process of being registered for marriages with the place where you go to be registered for birth, deaths and marriages. You know that place, the registry office. And I was thinking about births, deaths and marriages, and I was kind of thinking it from a guy's perspective, because I'm a guy, and I was thinking about these things from a bloke's perspective, births, deaths, and marriages. And what I figured was, of the three, they're the, the, the most important events in our lives, aren't they? You, the day you get married, the, the birth of your first child, or your birth, and, and then, obviously, the day you die, they're the three most significant events in your life. And from a bloke's perspective, do you know how many we matter in? Approximately one, death. Think about it, right? My wife, okay, Vicky, her favorite, she has two favorite programs, okay? One of them is Don't Tell the Bride. She's, she's denying it, but it's not true, and I've got the mic, so I'm sorry. The other one is One Born Every Minute. And I'm thinking, let's do the Don't Tell, any, any fans of Don't Tell the Bride in here? Come on, ladies, be honest. Yeah, there's some fans of that. I've got to be honest, it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure, because on the odd occasion when she put it on, it is quite funny. Anyone, any guys seen it? The, one of the most memorable ones for me was, there was a, a, a guy, and he, what, the, the gist of the program is, that I think they give them something like £20,000 to spend on their wedding. But the deal is, okay, if you want the 20 grand, the husband gets to spend it all. Now, come on, ladies, we all know, how much do you care about what the men want for a wedding? Anyone give two hoots about what the man wants for a wedding? Come on, let's be honest about it, ladies. You don't give a, 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 a whatever about what the guy wants for the wedding. All you really care about is what you want. You've had this picture in your mind since being a little girl. And that's okay. I get that. I understand that. But this program's funny because they get the guys to spend the money. I'll give you one example on it. This guy was given 20 grand to spend on it. So he, he, they have to organize the stag do and the hen do. And I've probably got these figures not quite right, but he spent about £18,000 on the stag do, and the rest went on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the hen do and the dress. So you can imagine how funny this program is and what kind of goes on in it. Now, I am a married man. It was one of the most important days of my life. We've got a picture of me. Making, we have two jobs, by the way. Has the picture gone up? Yeah, don't put it up if it hasn't. Is it up? Is it up? You, know, you can put it up, actually. We have two jobs. The first one is to make sure we arrive to the wedding on time. Obviously, uh, Jeff 
Where's Jeff? Is he still in the room? He might have gone out to do some work, but uh, Jeff was there. This is Jeff. This is Jeff. You look young. That's what Jeff looks like, young. He actually was young one day. And we, so this was me arriving for my wedding on time. I was there. It's one of our major jobs, isn't it, to turn up. So I got there to the... You right, Tony? <laughs> oh, okay. Good job. Um, and yeah, so that was my big job. And then you want the ladies, because you like a wedding, do you want to see some of the other pictures? We've got a couple of pictures. I, I went to the trouble of getting a couple. Bridesmaids. This was our wedding day. I'm going to get down and have a look at this, because this is such a lovely picture. We had nine bridesmaids young. There's Rachel. Did anyone see Rachel singing? Rachel is on the end on the bottom. That's Rachel, bridesmaid at our wedding, 20 years ago nearly. And then the next one, can we get the next picture up as well, Trace? This is the one you all, the ladies really care about. There is my beautiful bride, and that is how I still see her. That's how she looks to me. She is and then the other, the other event that men really don't matter in is the birth. Guys, listen, I feel like I am qualified to speak on these topics because I have been present and a part of five births and a wedding. Okay, so I am qualified to speak on these things, all right? And listen, in all five births, okay, I knew what my role was there. It was to be a nuisance, it was literally, that was my role, a nuisance. One of them, I was given the job of holding a leg up. Come on, seriously, that's the job I was given, hold this leg up in the air. I won't tell you some of the other jobs I was given, but on the, on the last but one birth, so my wife's having a cesarean section, and this, this anaesthetist he was, at the, at the time I was a math teacher, I wasn't doing what I was doing now, and so he... Now, I've been to three other births, okay? I'm kind of experienced. I'm, you know, I'm feeling like, hey, I know what I'm doing here. You know, I, I just stand by and keep my mouth shut and, and try and just do as I'm told. I get it. I'm not kind of flummoxed by it all. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm, I'm kind of okay, you know? But this guy felt it was his job to calm me down. Now, I'm already calm in the room, so he starts asking me questions. If you're a medical person or you've ever been involved in, in a hospital or anything, you know that they have this pattern that they go through to, to distract you and to get you to calm down and stuff like Is that better? Was it a problem, was it? It might flop back over, but we'll see. And so his job was to kind of to calm me down. So he starts asking me what to do. So I said, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a math teacher. Well, that was it. The guy lit up. He was like, I wanted to be a math teacher, and I, my parents wouldn't let me. They said I had to be in the medical profession. And he starts asking me about the binomial theorem. He's asking me about quadratic equations. I'm sat there, right? My wife, her arms are like that with all these wires in her. They're about to cut her stomach open to pull out my fourth child. And I'm kind of sat there while this guy is trying to ask me about quadratic equations and, and what I think about them and how great they are. And, and he wants to discuss it. I'm like, mate, I just want to watch the kind of birth and get into it. But I knew my job were there was literally, we don't have a part in it, do we, guys? We're there just to be a nuisance and to kind of do as we are told. Now, and the women are very happy about that. Let's be honest about it. They are incredibly happy about that. So... <laughs> I, I didn't actually, I've just looked at my notes, I'm glad I did, because the, the other job I had, actually it's not true that I only had one job at the wedding, I had two jobs at our wedding. One was to turn up and actually make sure I was there, okay, which I did. The other one was to sort out the organist. 
That was my job. Literally, I, was, I don't know why anyone thought that would be a good job to give to me. But I was given the job to sort out the organist. Now, one or two people in here will know who the organist was. And she was a lovely lady. Guys, anyone due to get married or anyone not married yet, let me give you just a little bit of advice, okay? Don't take advice off your best man, okay? Don't listen to him. Just go and, and get better advice than that. Your best man will send you down a bad path. That is not the way to go. My best man suggested this old lady who he said, he, hey, I'm sure she can play the organ. The alarm bell should have been ringing at that point. Okay, I turned up and, and I turned up with my brother-in-law who could play the organ and she was a little bit off key, should we say. She was hit, missing the odd note, but she assured us that she was just rusty and that she would practice and she would be fine. She was that bad on the day. Literally, it's no word of a lie. She was that bad on the day. Me and Vicky, you know on the bit where, the, is it, what's it called, that bit the, the, when you're going out and it's a different tune to, to going out. No, no, well, there comes the bride, but there's a name for the one as you're going out. Yeah, that one, the, the, the upbeat one as you're going out. And we're like, we're marching as fast as we could so this woman can stop playing to put people out of their misery. Literally two jobs. I got one of them right, which I think is pretty good, to be fair. Anyway, the, the, the point of me saying all of this is that there are two big motivators around births and weddings, if you think about it. Now, on the birth side of things, if you think about it, as a woman's getting close to that time of birth, the, and, and, and I know because when our twins were born, it was like this. It was a heat wave. It was 2003, and it was incredibly hot. And from being about six months pregnant, Vicky was huge. She's carrying twins. She was massive, right? And she's asking, she was, honestly, it's true. I'm not just exaggerating or being rude. She was massive. Anyway, they, they are kind of, she's saying to me, Barry, just pray that I have I have the babies, pray, you know, any, any women in here, you know what it's like as you get into the end, it gets more and more difficult, and you're more and more keen just to get this baby out and get it all done and out the way, and there's all kinds of different anxieties going on, and Vicky's asking me, and she's saying, Barry, will you pray that I'll have the babies, and I'm going, no, no, I'm saying, no, I'm not praying that you'll have the babies, it's too early, it's too early. That was an easy job for me, to be frank. I'm not carrying them. But anyway, I felt it was the right thing to do. And I had to make that right call. And, you know, and, and Vicky just got to take one for the team. But anyway, eventually, we had, there was this night and, and she, we had some friends around. And, and she, was, she, was, she was tired and she was poorly. And it was about a month till the wedding. Sorry, to the wedding, to the birth. And, uh, which actually is getting close to normal time for twins. And so she says to me, again, Barry, you know, I'm, I'm not... And I, and I said that, and I said, I'll pray. And literally, she went into labor that night. No word of a lie in it. You went into labor that night. We went over to the hospital. We confirmed she was in labor, and, and, and it went on, and, and we did all of that. But you'll know, if you're a lady in here, or if, you, if you're a guy and you've been around, that the motivator becomes pain. You get uncomfortable because you're carrying this child and it's hot and it's difficult and, and it's getting big and perhaps some thoughts of, hey, you know, this has got to happen and all of these kind of things. And the other one is that you're looking for a key point. You're looking for that point when the contractions start, when the pain comes. That pain arrives and it's the first sign of birth. Now, I know that there's Braxton Hicks. When we, we got more experience with our last baby, 
I was on my way into Liverpool when Vicky went into labour and I was taking the kids to school. They were in school there and in a private school where I was teaching and I'm on the way into school. She went into labour and she didn't even phone me. She went off to the hospital. She waited till I was on my way back because she knew if she'd have phoned me, kids wouldn't have arrived at school. I'd have just turned the car around and put my foot down to get to the hospital. But anyway, she just waited because she was a bit more experienced and she knew what was the difference between kind of those first pains and, and the real thing and, 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 you know, you know all of that stuff if you've been through that but pain is the motivator isn't it you waiting for that pain the contractions and when they come they are overwhelming any ladies confirm that just because I'm a guy I'm not quite as quite yeah there's a few hands going up I, I think it's fair for me to say that they are overwhelming aren't they those pains when they come are overwhelming and there's a tipping point isn't there the Braxton Hicks they may be kind of you know painful and whatever and plenty of first-time mums have gone to the hospital to be sent home again and told no 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 this this is normal there's nothing wrong this isn't the real thing go back home and come back when you're in a bit more pain or whatever they say to you and all that stuff you know but it's the pain and that overwhelming pain that gets to that point where you know hey 999 it's the time to pick up the phone and phone 999 get in the car get the husband home do whatever it takes but now is the time, that pain has hit that point, it's the time to pick up the phone and phone 999 and address this. Because labor's a big thing, things can go wrong, you need the right people around you, you want the doctors there and all of that stuff, it's a, it's a complicated thing and it's a dangerous thing, we all know that. But the pain is the overriding motivator, it motivates you to action. It drives you to action, and it is there for a reason. Even though it might be uncomfortable, even though it, well, uncomfortable, all right, ladies, I know uncomfortable is not the word to describe labor pain, but just go with me here. Even though it's difficult, and it's incredibly, incredible, is that better, incredibly, incredibly painful? Am I getting it a bit, am I getting a bit closer there? Pardon? Even though with all of those things, it's there for a reason, and it's there to motivate you to do something because it's an important time. Now, marriage, the other one that men don't really have much of a say in or anything like that, we just turn up. We have one bit, and, and our bit really is, is quite key in this one because we're the one that we do all of that, don't we? Any guys in here who've done that? I went down on one knee. Any other, any hands? Any, come on, I can't be the only guy in here that went down on one knee. Come on, that's better. Yeah, absolutely. Get down on one knee. It's the classic thing, and it's a nice thing about doing it, isn't it? It's a lovely thing. But there's a different motivation there, isn't there, with marriage. The motivation for marriage is completely different. The motivation for marriage is hope. It's hope, isn't it? It's hope of the future. It's hope of, if you can get the next picture up, it's hope of kind of that day when, you, when you're old and you're hand in hand and you, you've lived a life together. It's that hope, isn't it? It's that hope of that bright future. Even though you know that there might be some difficulties ahead, even though you know that you're not completely sure what you're doing and you're just kind of taking a punt on it, but you know it's right, it's that hope that drives you. It's the hope for the future. It's the hope of something 
something better. It's a hope of something good that drives you to do that. And what does it drive you to do? Not only get down on one knee, but go and take the punt and buy the expensive engagement ring. And you go out and you spend as much money as you can possibly get to go and buy that engagement ring and, and get that right one. To go to your wife, and, and, or your wife-to-be, hopefully, and to say, hey, will you marry me? And that's what drives us, isn't it? It's the hope. It's a different motivation. The pain is what motivates to action when it comes to birth. But when it comes to getting married, the motivation is completely different. It's hope for the future. And listen, I want to speak into some lives this morning. And I've got a, 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 a point that I want to make here that is, I would suggest, for the majority of you. The other point that I want to make is maybe for, for the minority, for fewer of you. But the point, let, let's turn to the Bible and I can explain what this is. In 1 Chronicles chapter 13, if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to that. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. This is in the midst, it's a key turning point in King David's reign. King David was a, a great and mighty, the greatest king. He's the one that is adored by Israel. They love King David. Anyone who's read the Bible, and I hope you, as many of you have, when you read the Bible and you read the stories of King David, there's some of the greatest stories in the Bible. Let me really encourage you to read the stories about him. They are incredible. They are so motivational, and you can't help but love the guy. He goes through incredible pain to get to where he needs to be. He has the, the previous king pursuing him and, and on his tail and, and trying to kill him, literally trying to kill him. David ends up in despair at a point because of what's going on and the, the pain that he has to go to to get to his prize. But there's a point in, in, in this story and David has a, a, a good motivation. His motivation is that the, the Israelites, God had given him a gift, a beautiful gift, an amazing gift and it was called the ark. Anyone seen Rangers of the Lost Ark? Come on. It's, it's that, but they've kind of Hollywoodized it, okay? It's not quite like that. There's not the ghosts and the ghouls coming out and all that kind of stuff. It's slightly different to that, but it was a, a, a miraculous thing. There's no doubt about it. The Bible, it was a miraculous thing, okay? There was a thing of miracles contained within it, but that's not the point I'm going this morning. But David recognized that the ark wasn't where it should be, and he needed to get the ark to where it needed to be. So he, in fact, if we pick up the story, listen to what he did. 1 Chronicles 13 verse 1 says this, it says, David consulted with all his officials. That sounds like a good, a good sign, doesn't it? That's a great start. He gets his leadership team together. He invites them all in. Anyone who's anything in David's kind of circle, he gets them in and he consults with them. He, he put, lays it all to them and he says, listen, we need the ark here and here's what I'm thinking. Here's my plan and what do you guys think? And he gives it the big speech and everything and they all go, yeah, go for that. That's a brilliant plan. Listen to what it says. It says, including the generals and captains of his army. So he's not got, just got the senior leaders, the guys who were kind of, you know, around the boardroom. He's gone and got the, the people who were out in the field leading the men. 
The ones who are out there doing it, the, the ministry heads, if you like. And he gets all of them in and he gets everyone together and he consults them. All his officials, including the generals and captains of his army. Verse 2, it says this, it says, Then he addressed the entire assembly of Israel. So imagine this, right? We decide we're going we're gonna to do something, we're going to make a decision. So we get all the leadership team together, we get them in and, and we consult with them. And then we get anyone who's in charge of anything in the church and we get them all together. We get them in, we consult with them. And eventually when we've done all of that, we then go to everyone, the whole lot, anyone who's anything, anyone who's a part of this thing. And we, and we lay it out before them and we say, hey, here's what we're thinking of doing. It says this, it says... He addressed the entire assembly of Israel as follows. This guy went belt and braces. He wanted to make sure his trousers didn't fall down and he had an embarrassing moment. He put the belt on. He put the braces on. He was certain, this is it. I am sorted. It says this, he says, he, he went to them and he, he consulted them as follows. If you approve... And if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send messengers to all the Israelites throughout the land, including the priests and Levites in their towns and pasture lands. Let us invite them to come and join us. It is time to bring back the ark of our God, for we neglected it during the reign of Saul. Saul was the previous leader. Saul turned out to be, well, he, from the start, he looked like a great leader. But the warnings were there right at the beginning. God said, hey, I don't see as you see. You lot look at him and you go, wow, he's head and shoulders above the rest. He looks the part. He's the man. He's going to do it. We'll have him. He's the one we want. All the other nations around have got kings. We want one just like them. We want our hero and he's the one. Bring him on. And they bring him on. And they were warned. God warned them. And he said, it'll be difficult. It'll, it, you'll be oppressed through him and everything. But they said, we don't care. We just want to be like everyone else. We just want to be like everyone else. And Saul came along, and by the end of it, he was an absolute unmitigated disaster. The guy was a wreck, an absolute wreck. And God gave him chance upon chance upon chance, and he still messed up. He even consulted with mediums and all this kind of stuff. He was terrible. Verse 4 says this, the whole assembly agreed to this. So imagine that. We take a ballot we, get, we, give, we give papers and, and everyone to a man says, Barry, Vicky, you've got it. This is the way we need to go. Leadership team are on board. Worship leaders on board. Hey, even the guitarist thinks it's a good idea. Come on, let's go and do this. This is the way we're going to go. And that's the way they went. There's a few different points I want to pull from this. In fact, let, let's see what happens. It says this, verse 8, we'll skip to verse 8. It says, David and all Israel were celebrating before God. And it puts it like this, in this version, with all the might. They were celebrating with all of the might. This is it. We've arrived 
this is incredible. The singing, the dancing, the, the, the open top bus parade is going on. You name it, it is incredible. The high five in each other, we've nailed it. This is the right decision. This is incredible. We can't go, what, what can go wrong? Literally, what can go wrong? Anyone read this bit and know what happens next? Come on, some of you know, don't you? It goes disastrously wrong. There's a guy, Uriah, I think is how you pronounce his name. Not important, I'm not Hebrew, so it doesn't really matter, does it? Any Hebrews in here I'm going to offend? No, no, okay. Uriah, we'll go with that one. Probably not even close, but hey. And, and they put it on this, ark, on this, uh, this cart, and, and this cart stumbles. The ox kind of stumble, and there's a few famous verses in there. And Uriah, he's kind of stood there, and he puts his hand out to steady the ark. I mean, when I'm reading this, I'm like, yeah, I'd have probably done the same. You know what I mean? The thing's about to fall over. This is like, you know, they've all, they've all agreed this has got to happen. He puts his hand out, and what happens? What happens? He's struck down. The guy, the, the wrath of God lands on, it looks like it lands on this guy, doesn't it? It lands on Israel. It lands on the whole nation. David is distraught. In fact, there's a verse, right? This was a painful, painful experience for David. But it was a key, important turning point for him. Verse 12 said this, David was now afraid of God. And he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God back into my care? It says in an earlier verse that he was angry. In the previous verse, some translations put angry. It's more than just anger. It's not anger as in he's annoyed at God. He's like, God, like God's done something wrong. This isn't that. This is more, when you look at that Greek, that Hebrew word, sorry, and what it means, it means to fret. There's an anxiety. It means to grieve. David isn't, he's not angry as in an aggressive anger. He's angry as in like, you ever, ever made a massive blunder and it's cost you dearly and you're like, you're annoyed, there's, a, there's an anger, but you're not really annoyed at, at a person. You're not annoyed at a thing. It's a different kind of anger that David's going through here. But listen to verse 12 again. Listen to it. David was now afraid of God. In other words, he wasn't beforehand. Which is an incredible thing when you read about David and who he was. And I would suggest this, that I don't think that, that, what, that what God's trying to say here is that David wasn't afraid at all of God up to this point. But there was a new level. This was a different level. This was a different level of, and, and bear this in mind, right, the, the word to fear God, okay, the Bible talks a lot about the fear of God and the fear of the Lord, and let me put it this way, it's not a fear as in a trembling fear of someone who's just a horrible taskmaster, it's not that kind of fear. We've all experienced that, haven't we, from bullies and all this kind of stuff and someone who's more powerful. And that fear of, like, you can't trust them. You don't know what they're going to do. You don't know where they're going to go. 
The fear of God is different. The fear of God is an awe. It's a respect. It is a, 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 an understanding that God is so far beyond us that we cannot just go by without him. We cannot just go by on our own. We cannot do that. He, he's, he's too big. He's too vast. He's too great. He's too powerful. He's too important. He's too immense. We cannot just go on our own without him with us. Because to do that is a fearful, fearful thing. And David realized that at this point. In fact, it's not, it didn't just cause him to fear God. The second part of verse 12 says this. It says, and. Notice it's and, not but. Some of you in here need to remove the word but from your language. Some of you in here need to remove the word but from your language. If you have a problem where people get a bit annoyed with you or frustrated with you in conversations, remove the word but from your language. You see it a lot and someone will say something and someone else will, you're having a big discussion about something and someone will make a great point and then someone else will jump in with, yeah, but, such and such. Now, what they're doing then when they say but is, they're saying, well, yours is okay, but what I'm about to say is more important. It's quite offensive, really, isn't it? You're going to offend people doing that. Remove the word but from your language as much as possible. The only time you want to remove the word but or use the word but in your language. Anyone got kids? I've mentioned this before. When your kids are coming to you and they're saying, oh, dad, yeah, I, I want to do my homework, but my mates are on the phone. And what you do is you say, so what you're saying is, son, your mates are on the phone, but you want to do your homework. Just turn it around. Take it back to them. It works really, really well. Anyway. It caused David to fear and respect God. An absolute fear and respect for God. But here's the thing. What was the motivation for that fear? It was the pain. It was the pain. And believe me, that was a painful experience. Any leaders in here, you will know when you are leading something, and, and someone else, you've got to make decisions. And every leader has made a decision that has cost someone else. And when you do that, when you make a decision that costs somebody else, it's painful. You could argue it's more painful than it is when, when you make a decision that costs you. Because a, a genuine leader, a true leader doesn't want to hurt the team, the, the for the team. They want to see them grow. They want to see them succeed and, and so on. And so this, th there's no doubt in my mind that this hurt David. The Bible tells us it hurt him. It, it caused the 999 call because what did it cause? It didn't just cause him to fear, but it caused him to consult God. It caused him to fear and to consult. And he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God back into my care? It motivated him to action. The pain motivated him to action. Listen, I'm, I'm a church leader, okay? So I know, I've read plenty of books, I've been to plenty of conferences and all kinds of different stuff on leading church and everything. And, and, and so I know all the verses and all the scriptures on kind of going and all the books and all the advice on going and consulting people. But the mistake that David made here was he consulted everyone, literally everyone, leaders, sub-leaders, 
the dishwasher, you name it, anyone, and it was anyone. He consulted them all. They all said yes. They all said, this is a great idea. Off you go. That's the way to go. Except what? But he didn't consult God. He didn't consult God. And it was painful, incredibly painful. I imagine David, towards the end of his life, if he wrote his regrets down, this was one of them. This was one of them. A major one of them. It cost, it cost someone their life under his care because he didn't consult God. And you can do all the right things. Hey, listen, David did all the right things there. He did all the right things. He followed all the advice. He took all the counsel. He took all the, 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 the wisdom and everything. And it still went wrong. And the thing is this. You can do everything right and still make a mistake and still get it wrong. And it can cost you dear. And it can cost you dear. But let me tell you this. If you're a Christian or you're a believer in this place, my experience, and I imagine many of you have had this experience, that those painful experiences that cost you, when you make a mistake and you get it wrong, you know, back in a previous generation, when a, a kid gets it wrong and they mess up and the clip round the ear comes, and that, whoa, the older ones in here will know what I'm on about, and that kind of, whoa, that hurts. Flipping heck, I won't do that again. It was like that. It was like that for David. It literally was a bolt out, and it was a bolt out the blue that, that struck him, that affected him, that hurt him, that caused him pain. But it was for a reason. The pain wasn't just to punish him. In fact, you could argue the pain wasn't really to punish him. The pain was a direct consequence of what he'd done. And the pain was to motivate him. It was to motivate him to consult God and to do it the right way. And if, the, the, if you want to know what the, what the right way is, go to, to chapter 15. Cha cool. Hey, mate, you all right? Chapter 15, read it later or get your dad to read it to you later. Chapter 15 tells us that he hadn't done it in the right way. There was a procedure for moving the ark. He had to get the right people to do it, the Levites. It had to be done in a certain way. The Levites had to consecrate themselves. You name it, there was a procedure that had to be done that he hadn't followed. He hadn't done it the right way. And God was essentially telling him, if you'd have asked me, if you'd have asked me, I'd have told you. I'd have told you. If you'd have gone to my word, you'd have seen it in there. It was in there, the, the right way to do it, the procedure to do it. It motivated him to action. And you know what? Many of you in here this morning, you're standing on the edge again. On the edge. You've got burnt. You've got hurt. You've had a painful experience. It's cost you. You're thinking or you thought, I'd done everything right. I'd read all the books. I'd done it all the right way. I took all the advice. Everyone was telling me this is the right thing to do. And I did it. I did it. what everyone said. I did what everyone said and it still went wrong. All my mates told me, hey, do this. This is the right thing to do. My mate said to me, hey, get her. She'll be a great keyboard player. She'll be brilliant. Your wife will be well made up when she's playing for the wedding. 
I'm like, hey, Vic, I did, John told me to do it. <laughs> do you think that worked? To this day, to this day, that is a painful experience. Some of you in here, you're feeling the pain. You're feeling the pain. And you're asking why. And you're looking and you're making the excuses and about why it's and, and your part in it and what you did and what you didn't do. And you're missing the point. You're missing the point. The pain is to motivate you to action. The pain is to get you to pick up the phone and make the call. Pick up the phone and make the call. Get on the phone and make the call. Get on the phone. Speak to God. Speak to him and ask him, what is it? What is it, Lord, that I need to be doing? What is it that I'm not doing that I need to be doing? Tell me, the pain is to motivate you. God's not punishing you. He's motivating you. He's tried everything else and you still wouldn't listen. And he's motivating you. Not anyone in here. I don't mean, obviously no one in here. Because none of you lot would kind of do that. But I'm on about this for the tape and for anyone that might be listening outside, you know. This is so you can go and give advice. And hey, you know, when my pastor was talking. He was saying that, you know, when this happens, we need to do this. So if, there's, if you come across anyone in that situation where they're feeling pain and, and they're kind of, you know, they, they, and they're moaning about the pain and it's really difficult. And you look on and you think, but they're not doing anything but they're just moaning, but they're just going on about it. They're just complaining. Say to them, say to them, hey, you, you need to pray, and then you need to do something. You need to do something. The first thing you need to know is that the pain is to motivate you to action. Pain has a reason and a purpose in this life for the Christian. It is to motivate us, and it's an effective motivator. Anyone? And sometimes it hits that point. It's got to hit that point where it gets that painful. It's that painful. And you're like, I can't take this pain anymore. And so you act. And you know what God's going? He's, he's like, anyone done it with the kids? And eventually they act and you're like, at last. wondered when that would happen. God is motivating you to action. And what does he want you to do? He wants you to consult him. He wants you to consult him. And then, in fact, I would suggest this. Those people that you're speaking to, because this isn't for any of you, I'm sure. I'm, I can't imagine this is for anyone in here. But for anyone in your world, right, kind of look at their situation. You'll probably see if you'll have a good look at it. That, and you might find in your situation, there might be an area like this. There could be where you're procrastinating. You're not kind of doing something. You've got this thing that's weighing on the back of your mind. And it's at the back of your mind because we all put it there, don't we? You know, well, I do. Maybe not you lot. I stick it right to the very back of my mind. I avoid it. I don't go there. I don't think about it. I do everything I can not to think about it. But it's kind of always there. And it's to motivate you to do, to sort it out. Deal with it. Do what you've got to do, whatever that is. Whatever the cost. Whatever the cost. Can we get the team up?
It's hot in it. Whatever the cost. Let me encourage you. If you, one of the things that's probably stopping you is the cost. You're thinking, this is going to cost me to deal with it. For those of you that you've got people in your world like this, and, and this has been going on for some time, they've not dealt with a situation in their life, okay? Maybe have a chat with them and ask them how much it's already cost them. See, we all think of the cost in the future, but we don't think of what it's cost us already, do we? We don't think what it's already cost us to sort that situation out, to deal with it. What's it already cost you? What's it cost you in, 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 in brain time, in, in just being there all the time in your mind and going over? What's it cost you in avoiding situations and people and things and, and not sorting things out? What's that missed hospital appointment cost you already? What's that missed conversation already cost you? What's that bill that you've got to pay already cost you? What's it already cost you? And finally, for, for those in the room, that probably the majority here, who, hey, you're not, your issue isn't kind of pain and getting things wrong. Yours is like, hey, I, everything's good. No pain in my life. However, I, I kind of, there's something, I, there's something keeps kind of flashing up that I need to go for and I need to do. I just, I need to, to do that thing. But I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. Go and buy the expensive ring. Get down on one knee. Pop the question. Do it. Step out. Because the hope for the future is the thing to motivate you. Yes, I know there's a thousand and one things that could go wrong. And there's a thousand and one kind of question marks and all of that. But what's the reward? What's the reward? God wants to motivate you this morning to step out. What is that thing that you've been putting off, that you've not dealt with, that you've not done? Go and do it. Go and speak to that person. Go and ask them the question. Go and pay the bill. Go and make the appointment. Go and do whatever it is that you've got to do in your world. Put it right and feel the pleasure. God bless.